episodes of Vin Diesel Diagram. Well, welcome to Sequelitis, everybody. Welcome to Sequelitis. We are in an extremely good mood right now because we got our shit working correctly. Yeah, we've got this uh, set up here, and of course, we're uh, we're making the most with the least amount possible. We're set up to play clips from Star Wars here, and we're going to... Uh, one thing that I want to do is sort of step through the quotes of Star Wars and see, like, does this movie really match up with uh, Rogue One? Does well, first, Rogue One first really I think meet the... Go you're, ahead. You're getting a little ahead of yourself. I we love tell to start ahead. We are. I love to start ahead and then go back later. Let's tell people who we are. I'm Matt. And I'm Manny. And I'm going to look up the New Hope opening scrawl. Yeah, so we're here uh, to talk about... Uh, Another successful new Star Wars movie. This one is a Star Wars anthology film. Uh, we're talking about Rogue One. And right off the bat, I'm going to say I really liked Rogue One a lot. I also liked Rogue One a lot. Um, that's my initial impression. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm known to change my mind as things go. But as for right now, I liked it. Yeah, and we'll get into that. We'll, we'll go back and revisit our feelings yeah. about The Force Awakens. And of course, if you listen to the episode previous to this where we talk about the Rogue One trailer, we do sort of discuss how we feel about uh, The Force Awakens, you know, a year back in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And I think really like being able to look at another new Star Wars movie and kind of compare that to the previous new Star Wars movie and how it fits in with the, the, the canon of the entire film fr- franchise. Yeah. You know, that, that'll be a discussion. Um, well, there's there's a lot to talk about. There's it's really a lot here. it's really a kick in the balls for George Lucas, as if to say like this is what you could have done with a prequel. You know, when people said that they wanted to see Darth Vader when he was like before, you know, they just wanted to see Darth Vader before Star Wars, not when he was a little kid, not when he was a bratty teenager, you know, or some fucking emo twenty something. Yeah, but like. Like, Darth Vader as, like, an ass-kicking, like, I don't have any kids, I'm living the bachelor life, Yeah, I'm out here just fucking shit up, you know. Yeah, what is this, like, has kids shit? Yeah, like, not dad Vader. Yeah, like, I got responsibilities, I got a mortgage to pay, like, no. Yeah. You know, and it, and it, it, sort, of, it sort of sells the idea that he has bought into the Empire, he's bought into the idea that, you know, what's the classic saying, that, like, war is peace, and... Um, uh, how's the rest of it go? But oh, like, well, well, uh, the quote, and it's, uh, very, uh, prescient for right now, because, um, just, just the other day, uh, um, Trump was confirmed as, as having won the election officially. All hail Emperor Trump. Yeah. Uh, the Atomic <laughs> Cheeto is now going to be our leader until something happens, which surely something will happen. But yeah, um, it's, uh, war's peace, um... Uh, freedom is slavery, yeah. and ignorance is strength. Right. And I don't think that there was a whole lot of Orwellian overtones in um, in the original Star Wars trilogy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, definitely there was, like, 1984 was inspired by... Uh, sort of a, a lot of a lot of the the very uh, fascist and, and autocratic um, you know regimes that were vying to control much of Europe um, when when George Orwell was inspired to write 1984 right and then um, you know that same war and all of that imagery and the the sort of uh, regimes that were in place those also inspired George Lucas when he wrote, uh, and created a lot of the uh, iconography of of the original Star Wars, of yeah. what became Episode Four: New Hope. Yeah, and what I was trying to say was that Darth Vader has bought into all that propaganda, is all that it is, and he believes that you know war is peace and, and that strength is ignorance or whatever the saying is. Well, I don't think that he so much believes it himself personally. I think he more kind of is trying to force that upon others. Because it's like, look, like you should buy into this, otherwise to resist is futile. And you like, like Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker himself personally, like that was sort of what was displayed. And and that's like even if you don't watch the prequels, you know we have clips of Obi Wan talking about it, and he was an individual that was seduced by the dark side in his quest for power. So for him, it was all about like trying to achieve the highest amount of personal power that he could. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, like 
he bought into freedom is slavery because he became the uh, a slave to yeah. the emperor. Right. I'd like to read the opening scrawl of Star Wars uh, New Hope. I watched this last night, and I feel like the opening scrawl fits the, the, the tightest with what Rogue One is. Some of the quotes from the movie don't, but this, this is perfect, okay? This is the opening scrawl. I've never, this has never felt more alive to me than it does now. It's a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. So that's that scene from the end of Rogue One. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star. All caps. An armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Which at the time they didn't know that. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Darth Vader... Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. So we're supposed to believe that Princess Leia was aboard that ship, and then at the end they show the, the little Princess Leia ship sort of be like shat out of the bigger ship and like take off, right? Yeah, that was sort of like her little planet cruiser or whatever. Yeah, and so we're supposed to believe that they're basically like racing around that ship with this like physical copy of like here, get you take it, you take it. And at some point, it sort of it sort of seems to change sizes and stuff because in the in the New Hope it didn't quite look the same as it looked, which that's the sort of thing that you could get right. So I don't know how they got that wrong, but well, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Like what I want to do is I want to spend. Uh, the first, like, ten minutes of this, like, talking about spoiler-free discussion of did we like this movie? Uh, was this a good Star Wars movie? Were there issues that we had with this without getting, like, too plot-heavy? And then that way, if, if somebody hasn't seen it yet, but they're planning to see it, they can sort of, like, hear our opinions on it. Mm -hmm. And then if they have seen it, they can continue to listen past the spoiler point and, and really get into that. So... Well, uh, why don't you talk about your initial impressions and like how you feel about that film right now without without spoiling too much of the plot? Uh, well, it got off to a super slow start, and I remember even saying to my girlfriend in the theater that like this is a little bit humorless at this point. Like nothing funny had happened. I always kind of mark uh, a dark movie by like how many you know light sort of moments are there. And I remember right, especially at the beginning, it was real heavy. There was nothing at all comedic happening, nothing to sort of lighten the tone. And, you know, that's one of those nitpicky things. It's like, if it's too light, then you're going to complain about that. If it's not light enough, you're going to complain about that. So. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was a little humorless in the beginning. But as it picked up steam and as it got towards the end, uh, you know, it's about a group of people, a sort of group of rebels, a, a group of miscreants that sort of come together to complete a mission. Uh, and also a lot of the really famous quotes from the trailer don't make it into the movie which is sort of interesting. Uh, most notably, the, you know, I'm a rebel, I rebel. That that quote didn't actually Thankfully. happen. Yeah, that, that was a that was a sort of a tricky one when you heard it in the trailer. And now there, there's a whole, like, there's a whole cottage industry of showing a clip in the trailer and then, like, not putting it into the actual movie. Well, I mean, it's, it's not, that's not even something that's new. That's something that's been around for most of my adult life. Like, you would watch a trailer and then you'd watch the movie like expecting to see that one moment that you recognize from the trailer and you go the whole movie and you're like what the hell that that wasn't in the movie at all yeah and, i mean i remember when i watched uh kingpin you know there was a moment in the trailer that is not in the movie at all and it's i hate the way that they do that because it's like look if you're going to show a trailer like it should be guaranteed that what you see in the trailer ends up being in the final cut of the film and if you're going to cut something out of the film you should go back and make sure that it's not in the promotional um, materials for that film yeah because otherwise you're misleading your audience well that's one school of thought and the other school of thought is like this gives you a taste of what the movie's like but then it's not actually ruining the movie because it's not quotes from the movie well, why not just show a trailer for a different movie at that point? Like, well, you know, don't show me shit that's not actually in the movie because that's false advertising. But you're misleading me. You know, like, yeah. don't show me a, a blowjob machine and a car that I want to buy. And then when I get the car, it's like, oh, no, we don't make that, actually. Yeah. It's like, well, that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to buy the stupid car. <laughs>
It's like, yeah, but the car will still drive you to work. It's like, yeah, I understand that. That's why I need a car. But a car with a blowjob machine? Are you kidding me? Yes, let's do it. Um, so the plot of the movie, I don't remember. I feel like some of the characters are a little bit non-memorable, which is one slight flaw to it. But you also you don't have to remember them uh, because of what happens in the events of the movie. But the main character is Jen Urser, and her father is... And this part didn't make super sense to me. Tell me what you thought about it. But her father used to build, I guess, stuff for the Empire, and then they, he decided not to, and then they came, and they are like, no, you got to be the guy that builds it. And he decided to go build it anyway, even though he didn't want to. He was a conscientious objector, and so he, he fled from uh, the Empire when he realized like what they were trying to get him to do. He fled, he went into hiding, and then at the very beginning of the movie, and like you, you have to kind of like pay attention to this stuff, um, because they really don't do uh, a lot to make sure that the audience understands exactly what's going on if you're half-heartedly paying attention. And honestly, this is a Star Wars movie. You can't, you, you can't expect that like every single person in the audience is going to be 100% tuned in. Um, but at the very beginning, like uh, they, that ship flies over their planet, and then they're like, they found us. And so, like, that's a moment to where you realize, like, okay, these are people that are being hunted. And then, of course, you see the Death Troopers come out, which I, I got to say, the Death Troopers and everybody's seen the costumes. Uh, they they'd have a, a full scale, like, like actual costumes at some of the movie theaters I went to. They look awesome. They look mm-hmm. badass, and yeah. they're they're pretty menacing. They're fairly badass. Um, the Stormtroopers is such a great design from Star Wars. Like, that's a that's a piece of what when people say like that movie's got great design and it's ahead of its time like the stormtrooper in general is it's a very iconic look the the mask and the face it's kind of like a like a like a frowny grimace mm-hmm. um you know but but overall like you know stormtroopers themselves are punchlines like 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 stormtrooper aim like that's a that's a whole punchline in and yeah. of itself Whereas the Death Troopers, I think that was a very good decision. I don't know if it was Gareth Edwards that came up with that, this film's director, or you know if it's a, a collaboration between several people. But but the decision to say like, hey, we're going to make a more menacing, badass version. Take this part out. But we are meant to think they did. These tracks are side by side. Sand people always ride. Sand people. I always thought that was a little bit much, like sand people. Oh, the sand people. It's anyway, a, it's a so now that we're now that we're past that non sequitur, um, no, he no, says was, he says these blast points are way too accurate for sand people. It must have been imperial. So you were saying uh, that their their accuracy is a joke, but to Obi Wan Kenobi, he says these points are way too accurate. But even even in uh, this movie, like way too accurate. There's a scene to where it's just like these guys can't aim. There's there's multiple scenes where it's like these guys can't aim, but at least with the Death Troopers, like they're wearing black. Man, they look badass. They're yeah, all shiny they look black. Great. That's why Vader looks badass. If Vader was in like an all white suit, no, he wouldn't look as badass. They look but, great. But they get that shiny black, and it's like, ooh man, you know. And I'm gonna step back over here. Yeah, they, they look fantastic, and I really like that actor that they cast as the. Dad, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Mads Mickelson. Yeah. Uh, the first time I saw him was in a James Bond movie, and he was like an outstanding actor to be in a James Bond movie. He had like a what? diamonds in his face. It didn't dawn on me that he was um, the same character who plays the villain in the new Doctor Strange movie. And like, even though like he's not he's not a villain that you're just like, oh, like this guy might get the best of Doctor Strange in that movie. It's a good actor, and like you, you like what was effective about his performance is you sort of start to sympathize with like how he feels, um, and it's kind of unfortunate because like they sort of like they relegate him to being someone who's powerless over his his whole entire destiny in this film, yeah. which realistically, realistically, that's how it would be. I'm sure there's a lot of people like um, Albert Einstein was somebody who escaped from Nazi Germany. Yeah. Because he realized, like he he could be his his intellect could be weaponized. Yeah. And of course, that's what we did here in the U.S. Is yeah. We, we weaponized his intellect. Project Manhattan. Yeah. Which essentially that's, that's what, what this is. Like, and and that's sort of like um, to to take away to um, what George Lucas was doing with the Death Star in you know the original Star Wars movie, A New Hope, 
is he was saying, what if instead of the Allies having the super weapon, it was the Axis powers that had a super weapon, and then the Allies have to try and figure out, against all odds, how they shut down that super weapon yeah. and turn it against the Axis powers. Right. And and this movie takes that metaphor and runs even further with it, and like says like, hey, here are these people that developed this this weapon that wipes out huge swaths of you know society and yeah. civilization and it causes i mean like it's it's one of the first times that you actually get to see the destruction that's caused by the death star I, mean, I love from the ground view i love the death star in the new movie i love they portrayed how it destroys a planet it was so much better than in the original star wars the way they portrayed it was like essentially it punches a giant hole in the planet and then the planet kind of eats itself by its own gravity sort of like a little bit slowly but it's collapsing and it's destroying and it's and so after the Death Star strikes a planet, you sort of sit there for a few minutes, like still alive, kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, and then it drops. And whereas in A New Hope, it kind of hit the planet, and the planet exploded like it was TNT, which is a little bit silly. Yeah, but but the difference was is in this movie they were purposefully like they didn't know if if the Death Star would actually even work. So when they pull out of Jeddah, they're like, all right, like right, let's do our first demonstration right here. It's so hard to find planets that you can live on. Like, Is it really such a good idea to like roll around and just destroy them whole cloth? Like, is that really the <laughs> well, play? Well, apparently like in, in this galaxy far, far away, there's plenty of class M1 planets, and they're super, super close to each other. I, like, I know, but... I mean, it's, it's, it's like I... You know, I, I just flew to Hawaii, and I was kind of impressed by, like, the flight was shorter and faster than I thought it would be. Oh, really? And that's essentially what this is, is, like, you know, Jeddah's not that far from Edu, and Scarif's not that far from Jeddah. So, uh, you know, it's it's a good neighborhood to be in. Yeah. It's a nice neighborhood to park a Death Star in. <laughs> <laughs> but I, overall, like, uh, this was... I, I, I really... Um, at, at first, after watching it, there were people that were talking about, and it's funny to me because there are people that are like shocked to learn that, you know, a Star Wars film is a war movie. And I, I kind of get that in that this is like the most like upfront, in your face, like battle scenes, watching people die, mm -hmm. like realizing, like, even if you don't see people die on screen that there are a lot of people that just got massacred. Because um, that's one thing that when they blow up Alderaan, like, you never go on the surface of Alderaan, so you don't, like, right. you don't get the sense of, like, what was the population? Like, what yeah, are the this, people on this there that died? This is really, like, like, feeling out that scene uh, in, in Star Wars, A New Hope, where they say that, you know, many people lost their lives. Should we play that clip? But they, they basically say that many people lost their lives to bring us these plans... Let's see if I can just play. Yeah, and this the... movie, this movie really takes that and says, like, all right, let's show those people losing their lives. Let's let's show those people like being sacrificed for um, the cause. And like this movie, more than any other Star Wars movie, really is a tragedy. Yeah. Um, like it's it's on par with uh, you know Empire Strikes Back and having that dark tragic tone to it, to where it, it does kind of suck up suck out any hope that you might have mm. but then it gives you a little bit just at the end so that you're just like all right i want to see where this goes from here only what's weird about this is like instead of saying like all right well what's the next movie that's going to come out after the empire strikes back oh it's return of the jedi i had to wait three years for this no this is like you could go home pop in a new hope and then once that happens you go wait a minute this doesn't exactly match up perfectly but yeah, you know, it, they it, do create a connection there. It tries to lead you directly into A New Hope, which is like, in my opinion, is like a like touch, minutes apart. Yeah, it's like a touch clumsy, but it basically works. I okay. would say. So, are we? Do we want to go ahead and get into uh, spoiler territory at this point? Yeah, I think it's okay to spoil. But I, we really didn't quite step through the plot though, like I, like I kind of wanted to. So no, that's why we're getting into spoiler territory, well, so we, that way we can we can get into the plot. We can discuss, like, this character does this and okay. everything else. Okay, so yeah, let, let's do that. Uh, and I think people, hopefully people have seen the movie. The movie's good. You know, see the movie. It's not going to disappoint you, I don't think. Yeah, see the movie before you start listening to the rest of this. I've heard some people be disappointed, and I think, I honestly think they're out of line. 
because I don't know what you expect from a Star Wars movie. But I'm not I'm not as huge of a Star Wars fan as all that. Like I I recognize that the first two movies are fucking amazing, and when I go back and watch them, I'm just like, wow, you know, these are two great movies. The third one starts off great and then falls off with the Ewoks. I think a lot of people think that. Yeah, so you could I. you could cut out most of the Ewok stuff and and then like just jump straight to the third act of that movie and have a complete cohesive story well, the that f- wraps up the entire trilogy. My opinion of the third movie is that the first action piece or the first whole piece where they go to the, they go back to Tatooine and they fight Jabba the Hutt. I think that's the best Star Wars has ever been for that first 17 minutes, but I think the rest of the movie, even for me, even the climax is is shit. But yeah, I like it does a great hit. job of like creating tension and like putting a main character in danger and and watching him watching him be inventive to try and overcome it, especially once you're just like you take a character that you've watched kind of like go from this like helpless farm boy to like watching him become like suddenly overpowered. Um, and then you thrust him into a situation where he's just like, uh, now I'm in over my head again. And you yeah. watch him use his wits to, to overcome something, which is what you want to watch with, with a swashbuckling adventure yeah. film. You know, it's, it's pirates in space. That's, that's what it originally was. And I feel like what they've really done with Rogue One is they go beyond this pirates in space and they make a movie it's, it's about more than the that war even. in Star Wars. It's that, but it's even more. It's like it's a western in space. It's also it's World War Two in space. It's samurais in space. Like Star Wars is just such a beautiful blend of so many different types of movies. It's just great. It's fantastic. All right. So, so is this as good as those movies? No, but it is. It's. The third best movie after Empire Strikes Back, I would say. In yeah, the whole this is series. this is better. This is honestly better than the Force Awakens. It's better, but the Force Awakens is now the fourth best Star Wars movie, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I it's, agree. It's, it's on, the Force Awakens is honestly a better movie than uh, than Return of the Jedi. The Force Awakens' its biggest problem is that it's forgettable. In my opinion. Well, and and part of the reason why it's forgettable is it eschews the opportunity to really like display, um, you know, really, really like developmental moments for characters, like build characters and further build upon this world that George Lucas first set in motion. Yeah, what, what and Rogue, instead it, it it takes chances to just yeah. give fan service. Right. What Rogue does is it shows you the backstory. Of Jen Urser. It doesn't say like, oh, she has a mysterious backstory and maybe in a couple of movies you'll get to hear it. No, it shows you that her father helps build the Death Star against his will. Uh, in the movie, he designs a flaw purposefully and tells her about it. Or not her, but he, t- he tries to tell Saul Guerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker. Did you come here to kill me? <laughs> I, got, I gotta be honest with you. When, when we watched it, um, that that first point when he's when he's talking to um, Bodhi uh, Rook, the the defected pilot, and he like pulls the the respirator out and puts it over his face and then just kind of lets it snap back. That was funny. That was funny to me, and I I think it's because it was supposed to be something that was supposed to come off as intimidating, and it it wasn't. It was just kind of silly. But really, like that was one of the few like unintentionally silly moments. And this entire movie. Because the rest of it, like, it gets dark and it gets really violent. Um, but it doesn't, like, try to be exploitative in its violence. It doesn't try to be exploitative anytime it kills off a character that you've been following. It just really tries to show you, like, look, this is war. And these are people that got involved knowing the risk, knowing the sacrifice. And that's how far they were willing to take it all the way to the moment of death. Even with even with a character like, honestly, like... Bodhi Rook, the mm. the defective pilot I was just talking yeah. about, like he's not somebody that like he almost feels like he's a little bit of a comic relief character, yeah, because he doesn't feel like he's super serious, especially when he's running around with that cable and he's trying to connect it in. But I almost expected him at one point to like run with it and like do the thing where he gets yanked <laughs> back off his feet, but he doesn't. But then like in the moment where he dies, it's like it's like one of those moments to where like you see him like go through that quick realization of like this is it for me i died for this i chose to die for this and like yeah they, that's where i think the movie really succeeds all the characters have their like hill that they decide to die on and it's like finding the plans to the death star and stopping the death star and you you never feel the death star's terror more than in this movie 
Like, it reinvents the Death Star, and the ending is not the Death Star exploding, which is great. It's like the, yeah. the, the, the looming The ending trouble. is the Death Star winning. Yeah. You know, for once in a yeah. fucking Star Wars film. Yeah. It, it took us it took us eight Star Wars films to finally get to one to where it's like, alright, the Death Star is fucking kicking ass. Yeah. And, and Darth Vader is fucking kicking ass. Yeah, Darth Vader is so great in this movie. He comes aboard Princess Leia's ship and he just starts slaying these rebel dudes and it and it's great because he looks like a hobbled old man that can barely move, but the way that he can move is so effective, it's so deadly. He's got the power of the force. He doesn't need youth and agility. He's got force strength. He's got his lightsaber. And he's just a bad motherfucker. And if you saw him come around the corner, you would shit your panties. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing is, like, some people are going to sit here and say, like, oh, they did fan service. They didn't need to put Darth Vader in there. They definitely didn't need to put the scene of Darth Vader swinging around his lightsaber and using the force. Here's the thing. Is, that was is, great. This is, yeah, that was great. And I disagree. And that I don't think it's fan part. service. Because here's the thing is, like, you know, if you don't count the prequels, and really that's that's not necessarily Darth Vader. That's still Anakin Skywalker making the transition. But if you don't count the prequels, it's like, how many times do you see Darth Vader being a fucking total badass? The the lightsaber battle with Obi-Wan Kenobi was so awkward and weird, they had to do a lot of edits to make it look not look as bad as it was because the actor, uh, David Prose, he couldn't see in that costume, so he couldn't really do any sort of fight choreography there. And so, you know, even the way that they cut it, his lightsaber battle with Obi-Wan Kenobi is really awkward. It's two, it's an old man versus a bodybuilder that can't fucking see. <laughs> then, you, then you have Empire Strikes Back, and like that's a scene that is all about the visuals. It's all about mm. the power struggle of watching one character, and they, they, they redo this in The Force Awakens, but it's all about seeing a character who is matched and they're way in over their head with very deadly implica implications trying to hold their ground against someone who's so much more powerful and then after that you just go to um you know luke going back and refighting his his father he now knows it's his father at the end of uh return of the jedi and that's not yeah. really much of a battle so this is the first chance you get to yeah. see prime darth vader and forget about ass. forget about episode three this is the new episode three like this is what happens before episode four like this yeah. is right there and like if you want to talk about like fan service and like unnecessary like lightsaber battles that's what the prequels were all about i mean yeah. just if you just look at the ones where it's it's yoda flipping around yoda who can barely move that in was this the movie. worst yeah just flipping around with his little green lightsaber you know, bouncing off the walls like he's a freaking like, you know, he's he's Sonic the Hedgehog. Can I um, can I play a clip here? Uh, does it relate to what we're talking about? Yeah. If the rebels have obtained a complete technical readout of the station, it is possible, however unlikely, that they might find a weakness and exploit it. The plans you refer to will soon be back in our hands. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture. Haha, <laughs> you're useless. So in that, he says, if they study the plans, then maybe they could find a weakness in it. That doesn't quite jive, but that, they don't know what the Rebels know. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the things is... Um, that doesn't quite jive with what happens in Rogue One, though. Like, like we said previously, like they really try to align the ending of this movie with the very... Like, like within minutes the very beginning of A New Hope, but if you go back and you actually, like, analyze it, it doesn't. Um, you know, because the whole thing is that supposedly they, they, they intercepted a transmission that gave them the plans to the here's, Death here's Star. Here's that clip. Okay. The Death Star plans are not in the main computer. Where are those transmissions you intercepted? What have you done with those plans? We intercepted those transmissions. This is a console ship. It's kind of hard to sell that consular ship when you got ejected out of the big ship at the end of the movie and then took off and they just followed you. Well, that and you, you, you know, did a jump directly into an active battlefield. Right. You know, and not only that, but we get we get uh, uh, Bail Organa 
saying, you know, directly that like, oh, I'm going to get Leia involved with this because I trust her. And they're basically insinuating that one ship was sending the Death Star plans and another ship intercepted the plans, which would be a very reasonable way to come across the Death Star plans, but it would be very like happenstance, like oh, we happen to get well, and these it wouldn't plans. be it wouldn't be as exciting right. as a movie as what Rogue One is, right. and like Rogue One is 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 genius. It, it's sad that it doesn't kind of fit in perfectly with what Lucas originally wrote, and then what was edited and and originally released in uh, what it was it nineteen seventy seven nineteen seventy seven, um, but you know John Knoll. Um, who worked for Industrial Light and Magic, actually one of the creators of Photoshop, um, he pitched this idea to George Lucas, and um, he said, look, why don't we take the crawl from um, A New Hope, and then we'll make that its own entire film. Mm -hmm. And then when, uh, when Lucasfilm got sold to Disney, he had to go back and pitch this again, and um, that's how we ended up with uh, with Rogue One. And again, like like Rogue One, I like it. It does. Um, I, I got to say that I, I watched um, Red Letter Media's review yeah. of this, and like one of the things they said is that this feels like a very well made fan film. Yeah. And I mean, you're you're gonna have that. Um, I mean, honestly, The Force Awakens kind of feels like. It's a fan film if somebody was able to get all their hands on, you know, everything like from from lenses to costumes, yeah. you know, that were used in making the original Star Wars trilogy, and then that person who had their hands on them just so happened to be J.J. Abrams, one of the most um, energetic yeah. directors working in right. film today. But this was this was a very well made film, but where it falls short is it does not really take the time to develop its characters enough. Because it's it's sort of the same sort of issue that you have with the Star Wars prequels, to where if you ch if you challenge someone to describe the characters, yeah, they're going to struggle to describe them. You, you know. think this movie has that same problem? I I think it does because like when you were talking about like it showed um, I it like showed Jen uh, Urso's yeah. uh, backstory. It just shows like the moment to where she lost her father and her mother. But it doesn't show anything that happens to her after Saw Gerrera uh, goes and picks her up. Like, like there's a whole gap of like 16 years where you don't yeah. know what happened. Well, that's another like Star Wars prequel movie that you could make, I guess. You know, if, if people are interested in her, I loved Sal Gerrera in the movie. I was disappointed to hear that he was invented by the cartoon Clone Wars series yeah. or something. I was I was very disappointed to hear that. I liked him as a character very much. I liked the idea. You know, if you haven't seen those movies, I like the idea that this movie is creating a new, interesting character that we don't know everything about him. And, like, mystery is the key. And that, that's what they get wrong in Force Awakens. They use mystery, but it's in that lost sort of a way. Like, we never bothered to figure this out. We don't know. So yeah. that's why we're not telling you. And you mean lost the TV series. Yeah. The mystery box. J.J. Abrams. Yeah. yeah. Because he made Force Awakens. Like, that's how, that's how Ray and that's how... Uh, the stormtroopers' backstory feels like it's a mystery, Finn. Finn. It's a mystery because we didn't write it. This feels like it's a mystery, but it works. Like Sal Guerrero feels like a character that makes sense to me. It, even yeah, though... well, and they're talking about like they're talking about these are imperial occupied uh, occupied planets, and and that is something that is a part of our our real actual world. When you talk about a force like occupying a certain area, and then the the natives and insurgents in that area like fighting back and like creating like this constant war zone. Yeah. Because um, I mean, you have that going on right now. I mean, in in, in Syria, you know, it's it's yeah. this endless struggle between um, the, the, these these opposing forces and the people that are caught in the middle. Right. And like you literally have that on Jeddah. Which turns out, like Jeddah was um, Iraq. Well, <laughs> maybe maybe in like a real world sense or Syria, but um, yeah. in in this movie's uh, sense, like Jeddah is a planet where you you had these very important uh, Jedi temples, and they do hint on that. Like they 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 don't have any Jedi's in this movie, but it's like, look, this is this is the Jedi religion that that used to exist that is now gone. You know, and then there's remnants of it, and they have the the two Asian characters in the movie, um, and it's uh, one is played by Donnie Yi, 
Donnie Yen is one of the guys, right? Yeah, Donnie Yen, and then um, the other character. I love was the dude played with by the big Yang gun. Wen. Yeah, I love yeah. the machine gun guy. His character's I, name was Bay's Wal- Malbus. Okay, I'm not gonna yeah. remember that. And like, that's the thing is like, um, you get a little bit of information about uh, Donnie Yen's character um, that that he was either someone who was aspiring to be a guardian of the wills or actually was one of the guardian of the wills. You 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 basically come to understand that like okay he is able to tap into the force i didn't pay as much attention to the whole like the the temple and the extracting the diamonds or whatever it was kyber crystals so kyber crystals are used in uh making uh lightsabers for jedis mm. that yeah. uh, whole temple that was filled with Kyber crystals. I feel like it was a little close to what to do with Star Trek with the dilithium crystals. Well, I was I was thinking it has it's it's a little closer to like doing what they did in the prequels with midichlorians. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which they're they tested for midichlorians. Why I don't have hated. Um, but yeah. Um, so I wanted to play this. Uh, well, I wanted to play this clip right here. And it's gonna cost you something extra. Ten thousand, all in advance. So Han Solo insists, like, this ship is going to cost 10000 right? And then Luke's like, I could, we could buy our own ship for that. Who's going to fly it, right? 10000 right? We can pay you 2000 now. We can pay you 2000 now, okay? I said ten. You counted with two. Well, old Ben Kenobi. Plus fifteen when we reach home. Plus fifteen. You gotta know you're about to get had on this deal. Well, Obi Wan <laughs> is definitely like more into the Craigslist game than uh, <laughs> than uh, Han Solo is. So two thousand now, ten thousand later. So so let's hear. Now, does Han Solo feel like okay? I'm only gonna get the two, the fifteen. <laughs> yeah, he's thinking about it realistically. <laughs> Let, let's let's hear what Han Solo says. Seventeen. He's listening. Okay, you guys got yourselves a ship. We'll leave as soon as you're ready. Docking Bay 94. 94. <laughs> yeah. And and that that does like let you understand like, all right, this is how Han Solo got himself in so much debt by making yeah. bad deals like this. Or he's like, I'm about to get seventeen thousand from these guys over here. Of course, I can pay you eight thousand for this. Oh, yeah, this is, and then he gets two thousand. He's like, uh, this is, this is what he says right here. Seventeen thousand. Look, guys, let's really be desperate. This can really save my neck. Get back to the ship. <laughs> so he's not. He's he's not at all thinking. Uh, oh, this this is never gonna work out. Uh, you know, this deal is. Uh, Yeah, this is a this is a fake deal. This is never gonna work out. He's thinking like, oh yeah, seventeen. That's really gonna help me. And then look what Obi Wan says. You'll have to send your speeder. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're gonna have to give up some ass, Luke. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you think about it, you might actually be my kid. So it's a real moral quandary for me, <laughs> pushing my. My possibly illegitimate son into uh, a life of prostitution. There's, a, there's. A, I was watching Star Trek. But I want to get off Star this Wars. fucking planet. I was watching Star Wars last night, and there's a couple of things uh, that have always that have always uh, rubbed me the wrong way. Here's here's another one right here. Check this clip out. So, so uh, Luke asked him initially, like, how fast is your ship? And he says, uh, you know, it made the uh, the Kessel, the Kessel run, run in twelve and parsecs. And and uh, this is this is an interesting thing. I'm sure, most, which is a really confusing thing, which other people have already established. Yeah, and I'm sure most people that have dug into this know that that's a measurement of time and not of distance. Okay, so basically, what you're saying is that how fast can your computer come up with the navigation to travel that distance? And then in the universe of Star Wars, there's no idea of like different speeds of speed of light. It's just like there's one speed, the speed of light, or there's one hyperspeed. 
and that's it. And everything else is like, how fast can your computer navigate it? So when he says it's so fast, it navigated the the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. And then when they get out there, he's like, what's taking so long getting to Lightspeed? He's like, this ain't like Dustin Crop, boy. <laughs> it's like, I didn't say it was Dustin Crop. I'm saying we got to get the fuck away from this guy. He said this shit was fast. And so, ostensibly, what being fast means in this universe is, like, how fast can it get the navigation to travel? So, that, that's always rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. Yeah. Well, and it's, that's, that's like, light comedic moments that, um, really, you don't get a lot of in, um, in Rogue One. And, really, if it wasn't for uh, K2SO, like, there would be almost no comedy in this Although there was there there is one really funny moment of comedy that does not come from uh, K two, and that's uh, when when uh, the whole group is getting taken prisoner by um, Saw Gerrera's uh, partisans, um, they they throw a mask over Donnie Yen's character, and he goes, "Are you kidding me? I'm blind." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good moment. And they they set that up like like people that are paying attention like they kind of expect that when they like start throwing hoods over each other like, "Oh, wait a minute, this guy can't see anyway." <laughs> but it's it's really funny. Yeah, but what are you gonna do? Like let the guy like who says he can't see see like. Yeah, but you you're do? you're you're being very me on that point. <laughs> Um, but to, to kind of get to like the things that I expect from movies. So, um, one of the things that this film does is, uh, once they get to the final action set piece of the film, they get into the third act, which is, uh, the attack on Scarif and the whole, um, archives base, uh, which is really cool because it takes you to a location that you've never gone to before in Star Wars, which is a tropical planet and a beach location, um, you know the the Maldives of the Star Wars universe. And so uh, when they go into there, and I, I really like the fact that they show that this is such a heavily guarded uh, area mm-hmm. for the Empire that they put up a shield in, around the entire fucking planet yeah. that um, they really control the port of entry, which is something that honestly... A, a very strong occupying military force would absolutely do when it comes to their own bases. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that happens earlier, they set this up, and you don't realize they're setting it up until it comes to the point to where they're taking the ship and they're deciding they're going off on their own mission. They're like, they're like screw this, we're going to do this on our own. Yeah. Um, and, and really, like, you don't realize when they're doing it, but they're signing up for a suicide mission. Right. Um, because and, what they're going to go do... Basically, there's no coming back from this. There's no, there's no. Silver but they don't lining. outright tell you that, and that's something that I really, really like and really, really appreciate about this movie, is that they just go like, "Hey, um, you know, we have to go and do this. Like, we need to go and do this." And they never once think of like the consequences of like, "Oh, well, you know, if we do this, though, we might die." Like, well, there's never a discussion about that. What was it's the, that we have to do this? What was the significance, in your opinion, of like when they named the ship like the Rogue One? Like, I, I sort of missed the significance of that. Like, I didn't know a where that name come from, and I didn't know what that well, meant. Well, because they're to going the, rogue. You know, and so yeah. like they had to kind of think of it, and like that's sort of the significance of the title. And and the director Gareth Edwards, like he described it, and he gave like three different explanations for the title, which really like, I mean, I don't necessarily like that. It's like find one thing and stick to it, and it's like to yeah. me, it's like you have Rogue Squadron, and like you know, you you have you have the Rebel Alliance is going rogue from the Empire, like. You know, it seems like so much of the galaxy, the the entire Federation, is sort of just like falling in line with all of this. Whereas the Rebel Alliance is saying like, no, this isn't right. We're not going along with this. We're not down with this shit at all. We're going to fight back. And, and within that, you do have this splinter group that says like, look, you guys want to sit back and not do anything because you're too scared to take, you know, to take on what's essentially a suicide mission. So we're going to go and do this. And like... At the same time, like I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, if they fail, like they're they're ultimately not going to get what they need to get, which is the plans for the Death Star, so they can understand how to, um, you know, to to incapacitate the weapon. So in in Star Wars: A New Hope, they seem to insinuate that they were going to examine the plans and see if they could find a weakness, but in Rogue One, they specifically uh, intignated. Is that the right word? That uh, a, a in, default 
Intimated. Intimated that a a, a default a fault was built into it on purpose. And I sort of had mixed feelings about it at first, but then when it was all said and done, I think I liked that they did it that way. Yeah, I mean, like, what it does is it does a little bit of creative reinvention of... Because here's the thing, is, like, when, when George Lucas was, was writing and making this original movie, um, he didn't... Um, he didn't intend for that. Yeah, he, he didn't have any idea that 40 years later, over 40 years later, they would still be continuing the storylines. That they would be elaborating on, like, minor plot points that he set in place, because as we were displaying with the with the clips that we're playing, if you if you try to align the plots of the two movies, they don't fit together perfectly. And and honestly that's fine for me because I like I do think about the fact that like, okay, like these were written so far apart, you know, you're talking about like two generations basically, that yeah, they're not gonna yeah. fit perfectly together. Yeah. You know, but they get so close to each other that like you can see connections between characters and it does it so much better than a movie like Prometheus which is serving as somewhat like it's so it's so poorly executed of like we're going to make a prequel but we're not going to make an exact prequel and it's like well, what the fuck are you doing like yeah. you're just trying to get me to see this movie cuz you're like oh it's an aliens movie but it's not the prequel to aliens and the other problem that you have was whenever you make a prequel movie um, that's supposed to connect directly into a movie that actually exists, and um, you know the the thing prequel is a perfect example of this. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't see that one. Was it terrible? It wasn't very good at all. Hmm. Um, was it a digital effect or a physical effect? Yeah, we 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 could do a whole episode on that. That I'd movie. have to watch it. But um, which the, I don't the want thing, to do. The, well, you're going to. I'm going to make you. No. That's a promise to you, audience. I don't um, wanna. He's going to. I'm going to force him. <laughs> but no, like the, the problem, force awakens. The problem is, is like you are watching this and you're going like, oh well, you know, you know that they're successful. They steal those plans. Like yeah. it has to happen because that's what the whole rest of the franchise is built upon. Yeah. Um, but the the thing that they do that and didn't this ruin is, it for me. No, and it didn't ruin it for me either. But when we're talking about earlier, and you're saying like, well, some stories, what they'll do is they'll write their characters into a you know, there's no way out of this situation. You know, this is essentially a suicide mission, and then the writers will then find a way to get them out of that suicide mission. Um, to where they end up surviving. And this movie couldn't do that. Even if they wanted to get, you know, just um, uh, Andor and uh, Jin uh, Erso, if they wanted to get those two characters out of it and have them survive the story, they couldn't do it. Because the whole thing is, is that those characters don't exist in the rest of the films. It's a prequel it's a prequel to those movies, and we know who the characters yeah. are in those movies. We know who's part of the Rebel Alliance, and those two characters are never mentioned at all. So they have to kill every single character that they invent for this movie. And I do appreciate the fact, the boldness that they sat there and said they did two things. One, they killed fucking everybody. Everybody that you see in this film Martin dies. Ending. Uh, everybody dies. Yeah, everybody dies except for Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah. You know, digital even though, Tarkin. Yeah, digital Tarkin. So what and then and then uh, hold on. And then the other thing is is that I really admire the restraint that they showed and not having Andor and Jin hook up. Like And I'm glad they you, didn't go to Endor. Those... No more Ewoks petition. <laughs> no more Ewoks, please. But you see those two characters like have their moments together and they showed restraint in not like saying like, oh, they're gonna kiss or they're gonna you know, have a romance or something like that. Because it would be totally inappropriate for this movie. It'd be totally inappropriate for the nature of the relationship that those two characters had. Yeah. For what they're trying to do. I mean, even when they had uh, Jen, like, give this stirring speech in front of the Council of the Rebel Alliance. Like, that was out of character for her. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I kind of get it just because she's had a chance to reconnect with her father and she's trying to carry the torch for him now that he's no longer around. And she realizes, like, his life, since she he's been out of her life, his life has, all been, is, has been all about, like, trying to find a way to undo what the Empire is trying to make him do. Yeah. So now let's, let's talk about uh, CGI faces. So there was Digital Tarkin in the movie... 
way too much digital Tarkin. Yeah. Um, rest in peace, uh, Peter Cushing. I, I thought that the inclusion of his character was interesting, but I thought that the, it would have been a better decision to just give somebody else like prosthetics to look like him. Well, and here's here's my solution to work around that, is you want to keep that character in there because people are expecting that character and it's so close to the movie that follows it up that features him as a prominent character. Show him, show him on, a, on a screen, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he's communicating with... Um, with uh, Darth Vader? Sirkin? No. It's... Um, the guy in the white? Yeah, the guy in the white. Um, but he, he's communicating with, with Sirkin... And it's like all you have to do is just have him like show up on on a screen, or even like they can communicate with each other via um, hologram, you know. Which you already had a hologram in the movie, yeah. Uh, Krennic, I'm sorry, Orson Krennic. Um, yeah. Have them communicate that way. Um, then that way you don't have to do the creepy, uncanny valley face, you know. Uh, to where you you look at it and you're just like, there's something not right about this face. The way he blinks, the way his face moves and his little ticks and everything. Mm-hmm. And then of course they really really like double down on it at the end of the movie. Your big reveal is that the plans get handed off to this uh, this woman in white robes, and she's got like you can tell she's got kind of some kind of hair. Yeah, a hairdo. She turns around and they hold on this hero shot. Of a very proud-looking Leia Organa there, yeah, and it's Carrie Fisher, forty years younger, all of a sudden. But it's like, it's an obvious effect, and like the thing about it is, in the same way that the Star Wars prequels, like they started to look dated and bad with their overuse of digital effects and blue mm-hmm. screen. Um, this this movie's gonna look that same way in like another like five six years, you know, because yeah. they are going to get to a point to where they're going to basically be able to have a digital character on screen that is indistinguishable from an actual real human character. But it's it's sad almost because what that means is that they're still going to be making remakes and sequels and like now we're now we're casting Peter Cushion who's been dead for 20 years or something. Yeah. And it's like now we're casting him in the movie. Why? Because, you know, somebody remembers liking him. In the old movie, it's like, yeah, I liked him. Well, you in the also old get Warwick too. Davis back in the movie, and he plays um, the the little mini character in um, uh, Saul Guerrero's forces. Hmm. I want to play another clip from Star Wars. Tell me, young Luke, what brings you out this far? Oh, a little droid. I think he's searching for his former master, but I've never seen such devotion in a droid before. Who's he looking uh, for? He claims to be the property of an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is he a relative of yours? Do you know who he's talking about? Obi-Wan? Hmm, that sounds Japanese. Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's not me. I'm an old white man. British. Obi-Wan. Can't be me. Now that's a name I've not heard. I've heard the name, um, but not for a long time. I mean, um, I'm Ben Kenobi, not... <laughs> I think my yeah. uncle knows him. Yeah. He said he was dead. No, oh, no, he's no, not, not dead. You know, no. Okay. You know him. Well, of course I know him. He's me. It's me. <laughs> I'm Ben. Ken- no, Ben Kenobi is Obi Wan. <laughs> I just, I just imagine Obi Wan Kenobi like filling out his moving uh, registration forms, like his, <laughs> his change of address form, and and he writes first he writes Obi Wan Kenobi, and then he scratches out and he's like, no, that's too. Too Old conspicuous. Ben Kenobi. I'm going to write Ben Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not Obi-Wan. Ben. <laughs> ben well, Kenobi. Well, that, that whole storyline, like, that shows you that, you know, that Lucas went back and tried to retcon his own movies as he was going along through it. And it's something that, like, anybody that's familiar with the franchise, like, they're, familiar, they, they, they're aware of it, they pick up on it, and they just kind of forgive it. Um, but it's funny because like the way people are, are attacking this movie and the way people are like really essentially going back, um, on their, uh, initial opinions of The Force Awakens and saying like, there's too much fan service or like they, they should do these movies differently. And it's like, the thing you have to realize is these are Star Wars movies. 
These have to live up to the expectations of fans who have now sat through, you know, six previous films, you know, once you get to The Force Awakens, seven previous films, once you get to um, Rogue One, plus all of the extra films, the, the, the two Ewok films, Battle for Endor, um, I can't remember what the other one was, mm-hmm. you know, Star Wars special doesn't, holiday special doesn't count at all, yeah. but I mean, you have the extended universe, um, and you have the Clone Wars, which now you're seeing like characters from the Clone Wars bleed into the actual. Uh, um, I refuse you know, to canon. watch these Cartoon Network cartoon movies. Like that's not canon for me. I well, don't it's care. Not a movie, it's a series. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. It's, and it's not a canon. Well regarded series. Don't care. You have, not you watching have video it. games. Like you, you have not playing so video games. I mean, you have people that have broken down the biology of the Sarlacc. I don't care about the Sar. Well, the Sarlacc is obviously the vagina of space. You know, it's it's where George Lucas's divorce really, really like <laughs> George turns. Lucas's like fear of like intimacy <laughs> with women. He's like, it's a giant. Why there's sand like so trap. many dudes like just hanging out with each other, <laughs> and you end up making out with your sister. It's just a giant hole with teeth in the sand that's there to get all your money. To gobble up men. <laughs> to just gobble up men whole. Well, I, I think I think that's been our Rogue One review. And uh, Do you want to talk about uh, Star Trek Beyond? Yeah, let's talk about it on the next episode, though. What do you say? Um, all right, we can do that. All right, guys, so thanks so much for joining us. This has been Sequelitis. Uh, yeah, and make sure that uh, you, you go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash sequelitis. Um, we, we have a Twitter account. It's, uh, at sequelitis. Also, Twitter.com e- at sequelitis. Uh, email us, uh, podcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know if there's, like, any, like, prequel, sequel films that you want us to talk about. Um, if you, if you write us and, and say that you agree or strongly disagree with anything that we've said in a previous episode, we'll, we'll discuss it on a future episode. Well, if you disagree, just keep that to yourself. We don't really care about that. No, no. Like, but let us know if you think we suck, if you well, think if you disagree I need with to be replaced, Manny, that's okay. or if Matt needs to be replaced. No, no I'm, not be, I'm not going anywhere. If we need to, like, do something different with our setup. Uh, if you love the way that uh, I mix in like uh, bumpers at the beginning and end, I, I love would it. definitely love for you to let me know that. Yeah, let us know. If you want to hear more on. Ken and Angie or more guests, let us know. Yeah, just whatever you guys want to tell time. us. One more time. Podcast at, at gmail.com. All right, thanks, This has been Sequelitis. I'm Matt. I'm Manny. Thanks for listening. calls him out later and says like he's like so you lied to me and he's like he's like well i didn't lie to you i mean the false lied what i told you was true from a certain point of view it's like what the fuck bullshit is that this is it right here and we're testing our setup too don't mute don't fuck with me he said that he's the property of obi-wan kenobi a resident of these parts and it's a private message for him Imagine Obi-Wan like landing on the planet and being like, he writes his name down as Obi-Wan and he scratches out and he's like, no, Ben. I'll go by Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, old Ben Kenobi. No one will ever confuse that with Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, not Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's Ben. Ben Kenobi. Old Ben lives out beyond the Dune Sea. Kind of a strange old hermit. (laughs) He dresses like some kind of a faggy space monk. (laughs) No. Of course I know him. It's me. This website's great. Tell me, young Luke, what brings you out this far? No, it's a little droid. I think he's searching for his former master. I've never <laughs> seen such devotion in a droid before. 
Uh, he claims to be the property of an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is he a relative of yours? Do you know who he's talking about? Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Obi-Wan. Hmm, <laughs> who could it be? Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. Okay. So you know him! You know, you know where I can find him? <laughs> he said he was dead. Oh, he's not dead. No? Where is he? Not yet. Why? Well, of course I know him. He's me! <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> that's pretty much... That, that's pretty much your fucking... <laughs> what R2 said right there. He's like, you fucking asshole. I've been looking this whole time for you! Alright, let's stop.